0: This is Jan Cox, talk number 2,525, recorded May 15th, 2000.
1: I'm going to say a few more words about the same subject, sort of, I was talking about last time, and I rewrote part of it to include a similar, a related subject, in my opinion, since I, well, they are related, I made them both up, so they got to be related. A man's mind is like a dramatist who writes a play that each man then takes to be reality in which he immediately forgets that he wrote. After that, seldom do men ever discriminate between the dramatist and his work. The fact that the actual drama of life commonly is at odds with the play composed by the mind is normally overlooked by the ordinary, but it is the source of what disturbs the few and drives their hunger for a new mental birth of some sort. For such people, the most distressing manifestation of this disparity concerns the matter of the self to which men lay claim, but which, upon close examination, proves to be nothing more than an invented character in the script, so long ago composed by the mind, a fact now so long ago forgotten. But you will be free from this distracting dream if you but realize, and then remember that this self that gives a running commentary on the life that it says you lead, is nothing but an invented character in a play that the mind has written and is not real. The life the mind believes it lives is but a script of a life, a farce, perhaps even a tragedy, but certainly not unadorned reality. The drama the mind concocts and the reality of life you lead, of the life you lead, are both played out, but they are performed in two altogether different theaters. To be enlightened is to be so aware. You might however note that man's illusionary self does perform a major role in his life and that it serves as the focal point around which men weave the dream that says that they control their life. So you see even so you see in the secondary reality, even the unreal can be of importance. From one view, men do have a real self, which is whatever they genetically are. Their illusionary self is like an ad hoc fabrication of their mind, And yet its particular nature is dictated by the nature of their real physical self. Thus there is nothing unnatural going on. Just one, just a more sophisticated self, observing, just a more sophisticated self, serving as a front for a less savory one. Known in upper class circles as a beard, for those of you who don't know. Ah, you do know. I don't know how that would work I always I tried that years ago I must be playing to a hipper crowd now years and years ago some of you may remember and I drew a blank with the people then I won't go into it but boy was that a rough crowd last night let me tell you that anyway to me that's always been what this voice in my head and this personality that you're inclined if to not actually portray you believe you do I always looked at it as a beard. Once I years ago heard the term, you know that. So all you're going to like, you know what it is. It is perfect, though. And plus, it doesn't require the participation of three people. See, to explain what a beard is, not in a social milieu, it always involves three people. So when you're bearding yourself, it's just you which I put, see, I spelled it out, I had no idea that the audience was going to be this with it tonight. So you see, there's nothing unnatural going on, this relationship between the illusionary and the real self. All it is is just a more sophisticated self serving as a beard for a less savory one. As bad as it is to be in prison with no freedom at all, a man is worse off still if he believes that he is, in fact, free. To be enlightened is to face the facts, even the fact that you have but one real self, and it is not the one that talks to you. It ill behooves a man who wants to get to the bottom of things to say any more than is plainly called for to others and to himself. Speaking in excess of what is necessary simply invites your illusionary self to come in and take over which will result in you you offering explanations for what what you've done when in fact you have none and will cause you to ascribe specific motives for your action whereas you know not what they actually are. Overall, saying any more than is absolutely required not only offers support to your illusionary self's claim of legitimacy, but it also aids in its self-deception that it is in control of your life. A story is told of two seekers of the truth who enter a new land and decide to investigate it separately and meet later to compare their findings. And after a considerable time apart, involved in their individual explorations, they one day unexpectedly come face to face again. And after silently looking into one another's eyes for the briefest of moments, they linked arms and off they went in search of more new lands. What does this story signify, and why the presence of two figures, and what realization occurred during their silent face-to-face contact? Legend also tells of an ancient seeker who was at the end of who at the end of his life said, "Quote: Reveal the truth in every word you say, and refer to the source. And refer to the source in every statement you make." What a thoroughly startling notion! But what did he mean? Well, this last of the three pages is what I was getting at tonight, and I, but I did want to tie it in a little to this illusionary self. But my prime subject was going to be, again, having to do with talk, but in a very specific way. I ended up quoting, and not really quoting, but someone I know has said something similar to this. I recall many hundreds of years ago probably some Zenist it's not important but looking back reading it it amounted to this what I said reveal the truth in every word you say and refer to the source in every statement you make what I tell you from my experience and what you should be able to see by now is that there is a quite specific God forgive me, danger. Unnecessary problem. To say any more than is necessary. Surely by now, forgive me for saying surely, but I try to give everyone credit here and out of town, you people who've been around, but surely I think by now, you people must have your own distaste whenever you catch a certain occurrence, your own distaste of having run your mouth. Uh, there's no way that I can, or that I would try to incite you either, it either happens to you or it doesn't, it either becomes something that is a fairly well a norm with you to find that you have said more than was necessary. I don't know how you think about it, but this may be the way you think about it henceforth. But that somebody asks you a question. And you're just holding up an end for a conversation. You're in a parking lot. Somebody walks by and says, what a nice car you have. You say, well, oh, okay. You know, I like it. Maybe they say, uh, how old is it? And you tell them, and say, boy, I bet it, takes a lot to keep up a car that nice you say something like well i spent four thousand dollars last year just straightening out dents and having repainted and any number of other i give you credit and if you don't deserve credit then i must i have no choice other than to try and make you feel bad (laughs) Suffer, damn it, if you have if you don't experience this, and you know this is just between us, it has no externally comparable basis. Or there is nothing externally comparable, or there's no external basis. We'll get to the point, man. All right. I just want to be sure you. Know, but by now, you understand there is no commonly known objective reason for me to say this, or for this to be true, for people like us, or for people like me. No reason whatsoever. The conversation I just made up. You can't say if you'd been listening to it. I don't know of any ordinary sane human who would say that anything untoward happened. That you smiled. You carried on the conversation. Kind of brought it to an end. The guy nodded, you know, like you said, yeah, last year it cost me $4,000. It cost me, you know, X amount of $1,000 for insurance this old to keep, you know, some come in and go, okay. he says, see you around. He say see you around. So nothing seemed to have happened. I say that you don't quite have a full grip on this matter. I'm just telling you. If such a conversation, after it's over, does not have, leave a sorry taste in your mouth. And I repeat one more time, there is no objective standard. You did not do anything unchristian, un-Jewish, anti-Italian, uncivilized, inhumane. And it's got nothing to do with, uh, it's got nothing to do with anything. That's why I'm dancing all around the rose bush. I am, I'm telling you, if you keep this up, If you get a better grip, if this doesn't make sense, if you get a better grip on all this, I can give you my guarantee the day will come that you will, quite individually, quite personally, you will severely regret, having said, especially the part about, yeah, it cost me X amount of dollars last year, that you said any more than was necessary, than was called for. The man just simply, now I don't get stuck on the example because the example, as you should know when now, is meaningless. But the man says, Boy, I bet it costs a lot to keep an old car up that nice. Or, Boy, I bet it, keep, you know, it just costs a lot to keep a car looking that nice when it gets that old. What's the answer to that? Yes, it does. Or, no, it's not so bad. Or, just even, eh. I get by in most places. You smile and go, eh. And he may look at you and go, eh. And he knows, too, that you know, people can easily take it to me. Well, I just don't even want to think about it.
0: Yeah,
1: but no. You said there was nothing but three or four words. And remember, it had nothing to do with the amount of money and et cetera. It was just that you said more than was necessary. Now, in the beginning, if you start to catch this, you may think that it has to do with. I did originally, so I assume that it would not be totally unexpected that you might that when I first. At one time, I used to catch such as that and realize something is definitely wrong. Nobody told me. I just knew that's not right. I should not be doing that. And I thought, well, to take the example I just made up. And then I would think, well, it had to do with the content. You know, why in the hell did I tell the man, yes, it cost me $4,000 last year uh, and added insurance. Or it cost, every year I had to reap you know, some shit like that. And I would think, well, I bet it was because I, I was a form of egoism I was bragging I was pointing out that uh, it cost me more it's not that it has nothing to do with the content and it is very subtle and I am sure that a a person could uh, apparently be somewhat enlightened and still not grasp this but I am telling you a fact referring back to if it sounds more mystical to you uh, the general quote i gave that somebody said reveal the truth in every word you say uh, i read that long time ago whoever said it and that would sound if you didn't grasp it that i could pass for it coming out of routine religion it sounds as though it has to do with uh, reveal the truth in every word you say and that would sound like a minister a rabbi a weekend mystic could grab that and go, yes, that means that you should constantly be trying to spread the enlightened word. As always, if I quote somebody else, more or less, then that means I give them credit that they understood, at least the way I do, what they said. Now, speaking the minimum, speaking what's called for, is speaking the truth of every word. When you don't speak the truth is when you say that which is not called for that which was not required and it doesn't matter what it is and it has took me a long time to get to this but it has a specific nugatory As half-educated mississippi mystics used to call it it has a nugatory effect <laughs> a nugatory impact i mean that's what they're saying nowadays or even nah, uh, they're probably saying it impacts one nugatorily.
0: <laughs> in his
1: in his desire to awaken. It does, it does, it does. And I could have said this many, many long time ago. I could have preached on about this, but I wanted to tie it to the fact, uh, or tie it to one example of and this is just one way to put it, this is just one model I can conjure up of why it has a nugatory effect, an inhibiting effect, a distasteful effect is that it is invited immediately even if you are operating under the best of conditions, if you are operating at your best under the present conditions and were somewhat alert that you are not totally distracted during this conversation, any conversation, it, as soon as you begin to say more than is called for, than is called for by the conversation, by what's going on, what you have done is just literally invited the illusionary self. Or if you want another way, you have invited, you have almost insisted yourself, I'm far too alert here. I want to go to sleep. That is what happens. I find this, and I say to you, that this is a very useful weapon. Because you will go to sleep. You will become distracted. Once you pass the point. Assuming that you started off on a fairly stable, focused, or in a fairly stable and focused position. And you're in a conversation. Now I'm making it easy or hard to start with an actual conversation with another human. As soon as you start saying more than is required for the for the conditions, whatever they are, it's simple, because usually yes or no. But as soon as you start saying more than was required by the conversation, just more than was required, it is almost a certainty. You can just count on it. You're gonna lose your focus. Or, as we used to like to say, you're going to go to sleep. You'll take a snooze. Uh, anyone who's been around listening to me or reading, you know that one of my favorite con- topics used to be, or on and off, is uh, bad mouthing, condemning, and attacking, palaver, excessive speech. And no one ever questions it. And it seems to be, at some level, apparent to those wired up to be interested in this kind of activity. That if you just say, first off, if you just put up a sign, anyone interesting awake, amateur mystics, lecture tonight, 7.30 free, and just, first off, tell people, Uh, do, does everybody, you've heard the idea that man's not fully conscious or he's not as conscious as he could be now go yeah, yeah, yeah and you go well, uh, that's what I'm interested in, that's what I've spent my life working on, and so uh, I'm, right off I'm going to tell you, the main problem the main thing that keeps you in that condition that is that each and every one of you talk too much not one person would ever object, not one person will ever go, oh no, that's not very important it has the immediate ring of validity impertinence to this matter but it is much more subtle than that because I knew that some way I figured that out whether I read it or heard it but I knew that you know, before I was twenty it was just obvious and I thought I even had reasons I thought I could explain it I could point out why As I said, part of it was, I used to, for a while, I was concerned, well, once you start talking, you don't know when to stop. Once you get going, and you'll start saying things, and all you're doing is building up your own ego. You're just trying to blow smoke on other people about what a great guy you are. You just began to weave out this fabrication, this dream you have of you. That's true. There's no doubt about it. And that is, as I was pointing out to you, when I was in the first part of tonight's rewrite, still about the illusionary self, That is the major role that the illusionary self plays, is that exact thing. From any ordinary view, it is not condemnable. Ordinary people will condemn it from time to time when an individual finds some other individual's use to be excessive. But when it is just running, what what I call excessive, is the norm. You know everyone talks about themselves. Years ago, I used to give a little trick. I guess some of you have heard it. I used to point out to you, well, I used to send people out doing tasks years ago. Now, I'd say, fall in a conversation with somebody or just the next time you're in a conversation. But it, sometimes it's good if you strike up a conversation with a stranger in a street corner or in a grocery checkout line. But at any rate, next time you're around somebody and they ask you a question, is turn the question back on them, not the question, but when somebody asks you a question like, uh, where are you from? And, of course, you've got to do it with no trace of hostility. It's got to be as absolutely impartial and sang as possible. And you go, uh, well, why do you ask? Whatever it is, they go, well, you just look like you're out of town. What makes you think that? Well, a lot of people around here from uh, out of town. Not many people are from this part of the country. How do you know that? It's just keep on asking somebody else ask a question. And if you do it in a certain way, they will never notice that you did not answer. No one will ever take umbrage. No one will go, well, wait a minute. I didn't want to talk about me. I wanted to talk about you. Never happened. Never happened. But it's still more subtle than that. But at any rate, I was pointing out that is the norm. And that is not really condemnable from any kind of objective view. That is part of civilization. Now, you and I could sit here. I can make fun of it. I can hold it up and ridicule it in such a verbal manner that everyone will laugh and snicker. Oh yeah, aren't ordinary people full of it? Aren't they full of themselves, which is the same thing? Aren't they just full of themselves, just nothing but walking pretenses, See, To use all my First, while verbal approaches, you should not be snickering. If anything, you should be falling down your knees at night in your little jammies and thanking God that everybody else is like that. If they weren't, you'd be having Santa door with a shotgun all the time. That's, that is the heart of being civilized. There's nothing wrong with people you know, blowing smoke on you and everybody else about what a great guy they are. And hey, look at me. There's nothing untoward, there's nothing ill-directed for me to even say, or whatever conclusion you come to, we could say, that if you listen, I bet you 99% of what everyone talks about is themselves. And you can tell that to somebody, and they go, wow, you could be right. Aren't people awful? No. Contrary. If you got your choice of where to... well is going to make up a scenario about a man who doesn't talk at all and one who continually talks by himself and you're going to be, you got to share a life raft of one of them indefinitely and very limited water and provisions. Both of them got little life rafts and you've already been around both of them on the boat that just went down the ship and one of them very seldom talked. I'm talking about ordinary people. Never said much of anything. No one talked all the time. There's a definite weighted choice there. Back to the excessive talk, the talk that is easy to hold up to ridicule, the talk that is meaningless, it is useless, the only thing you can say about it, it is self-promotion. And somewhere between 95 and 99%, I invite you as always to look and listen, what do people talk about? themselves I say that, if, and this is you should be able to see this instantly for yourself to realize that I say that it is not their real self and that's just a term because your illusionary self at the ordinary level is as real as anything else in a man in one real sense but there is this self that is simply what you genetically are what you instinctively are if we could strip away the cortex, from any human then what would be left is his real self and it is not necessarily a very savory affair it happens with people as you know there are traumas to the head uh, that more or less from my reading that more or less uh, affects what I results in what I just said the brain is really such a complex and interconnected affair that uh, I don't know that could literally be true. But it's come very close that there are traumas that can happen to the head that almost affect this, that almost result in a man being stripped of his personality and only that, that is stripped of the cortical activity, the front lobe activity. But it's so connected it doesn't have the real result. Is not a pristine splitting because there's not a pl- pristine separation between a real self and an imaginary self, as I'm calling them, anyway. As I said, the illusionary self is really just a beard. It's just a front. I want to say, except this doesn't make any sense, but hell, you people are used to that. This does not make serial sense. It's almost as though the instinctive self... I'll weave a metaphor. This can't be true, as you'll hear. It's almost as though the instinctive self now finds itself born into a world that is no longer, as I call it, of just primary needs. That the majority of the life in which people like us are born, the main thrust of life, the primary act or the main activity is what I call the secondary activity, the secondary reality. And so each person is born. And all they are is their real self, their instinctive self. And it looks around at an early age and realizes, I can put it several ways. It looks around and thinks, I can't cut this. The little kid looks around at his parents. And everybody playing pretend. And he sees that they're always saying things that they do not mean. He sees that immediately. He sees that they seem to be living by some kind of script in their head that doesn't match what's going on. Or at least it's easy for him to see what they say does not match what they do. And so since he does not yet have the word irony, and he doesn't know exactly how to be sarcastic, I say, remember this can't be true, that his little instinctive self and everybody looks around, gets a pretty quick take on what secondary reality, that is, the adult civilized world is, and the instinctive self looks at that, and thought, oh shit, I ain't gonna put up with this crap. And it conjures up, it's like it gets in its brother in law who's a hairdresser and makes him act as his beard. You bring out this other woman tonight, you date her, and so my wife won't find out, and neighbors, they'll think that you're dating her. For those of you who don't know, that's what a beard is. You're my front man. That's operationally, that's how it works out from one model. That your illusionary self, everyone's personality, but their illusionary self, is like a front. It's like the instinctive self, like I said, there are other ways to look at it. One is that it can't cut it. The instinctive self looks at what's going on and thought, Yeah, I can't do that. I won't do that. I'm not equipped to do that. How's the other people doing it? And it realize, well, it's not their real self doing it. They're wearing a beard. They're wearing a face. They put on a costume. And so each person's instinctive self produces this illusionary self. But remember, there, there cannot be. There is no discrete separation between the two, because even your illusionary self is fed directly by your instinctive self. A person does not end up with a wimpy personality unless he has a wimpy genetic makeup. He is instinctively a whip dog. He's the runt of a litter that you can see immediately when they're born. You can see any reasonable sized litter of any animal. Invariably, they will be born into the litter a wimp. Anybody with any experience looks at it and just within minutes or hours knows it. In a human, the secondary self cannot be in conflict. It is a representation. So the point being, there is no discrete separation between the two. That can't happen, can it? That can't be the way it happens. If I just thought,
0: it
1: might be entertaining. You can always ask yourself this. Even if you take what I say just then, that it couldn't happen that way, and you go, yeah, I see why you say that, but hell, it had to happen some way, didn't it? Yes, it did. Just don't be an idiot like me and try and figure out what it was. Well, you can investigate it, but then don't go, aha, it's so-and-so. No, it's not. If you can see it clearly, then you've missed it. That's my, nobody asked me, but that's been my latest tattoo. I haven't shown it to anybody. I had it a while back. That if you can express it in a way that is meaningful to you, you missed it. (laughs) Well, you'd be surprised how efficient that view is. Or how efficient things become when you understand that's true. I mean, all kinds of things are entertaining to think and talk about, as witnessed by the fact I'm sitting here doing it. So for me to say, well, the fact is your illusionary self cannot be in conflict with your distinct, instinctive self, well, that's not true. I don't know how anybody let me say that. But if you say, well, that can't be true, then you're as bad off as I am. Well. <laughs> yeah. We never get anywhere when I start that, do we? Well, one or two people smile halfway, and the rest of you sort of look like, "Go on, go on, go on, (laughs) press on. No need to linger." (laughs) Let me say again that the line that you should reveal the truth in every word you say. Uh, I can't resist trying again if. If you heard that from an ordinary mystic or you read it in some mystical writing or even, as I said, from a religious source, would you not think an ordinary mind, if it gave it any, if it ascribed any possible significance and tried to consider the sentence, the idea, I say that an ordinary mind would place the emphasis or look for the significance in the word, that is the word word in the sentence that you should reveal the, the truth in every word you speak. An ordinary mind would go, yes, you should only speak words that are in some way, like if you were a Christian mystic. If you were a Zenist, or a Sufi, you would say, your interpretation would be, yes, the idea that you should reveal the truth in each word you say, that means everything you say to another human should be based upon Sufi truth. It should be a reflection of a Sufi mind. Well, that's real sweet. (laughs) Except that's not what it means. That's not what it means to me. That is not the. There's a meaning beyond that. And I mean beyond it in a profitable sense. It doesn't have anything to do with the words you're saying. I do not really have any fear that any of you people still feel that you are on some mission that you must spread truth of some kind to other people. And yet, that is what the mind would originally, I say, would be normally inclined, how it would be inclined to Analyze the sentence that you should reveal the truth in every word you say. That the emphasis would be, the emphasis would be that the words you say are of some importance. You should watch what you say. I say no. I say beyond that, it's not watch what you say, it's watch how much you say. And I say what you should say is no more than the minimum that is called for. Well, I could go on and on about that and keep making up examples. Now, you do not only talk to others, you continually is to put it in ordinary terms, you're continually talking to yourself. What you're saying is not just to others, but you're also saying to yourself, normally called thinking or daydreaming, but thinking. You should not be saying to yourself any more than is called for by whatever is going on. Whatever it was you were thinking about. Whatever it is that gets your attention and you have some thoughts about it is you should not say any more about it than is called for. That's hard to do while investigating and trying to get to the bottom of things. I'll grant you that. But hell, you've had all your life to do the latter. Let me go back to the sentence, or the idea of reveal the truth in every word you say and refer to the source in every statement. That last part, I don't know whether you ever want to get into that, or whether you want me to. If you say only what's called for, you've revealed the truth. But I repeat, it is much more subtle than that because if you do that, even in your conversations with other people, even in overt speech, if you say only what's called for, you reveal the truth to you. It's not to other people, that's not the point. You reveal the truth by saying only that which was necessary. I assure you, I give you my personal guarantee, this is as mystical, this is as an astounding, a little trick or method or approach. Much more so than you selling everything you've got, leaving your life Traveling to India or Japan or China and climbing up mountains for weeks and weeks and finding somebody joining some monastery you know, that makes you only eat wood shavings and, and stay on your head three hours a day and push you against a brick wall and then sit and not say anything for the remainder of the night. Whatever the weirdest thing you could imagine. This is weirder because this is more profitable. Just that. Because if you do it for a while, I can guarantee results. If you can do it for just a reasonable period of time, not all that long, not we're not talking about years, and that you can train yourself to only say what's called for and no more, then you will reveal the truth in every word you say. And I repeat, not reveal the truth that you're talking to somebody and some other person go, ha, I'm enlightened. No, it'll make you see closer to the bottom of things in a way that you've never tried or in a way that you never have done. It takes, if I have to tell you, it takes real effort. You have to absolutely plan. You have to do it very simply. That from now on, and start with actual conversation, that's the easiest place to start, that you willfully, specifically plan from now on When I talk to anybody, if they initiate a conversation and it's called for for me to respond, just to be an ordinary human, to get through the situation, I will say only that which is called for and nothing more. That is my plan. I can do that. All I got to do is remember. All I got to do is i take my time. I'll hold back a second when somebody says something asks me a question makes a comment and it seems my turn to make a comment I will only comment I will only say the absolute minimum that is called for that's expected not the exact words but what's called for under reasonable conditions there's no challenge there but you decide that's all I will say if you do that for a period of time. I can almost I guarantee something will happen. I can almost guarantee that you will see something that you've never realized before in you. In all of humans. And it has to do well I was going to tell you what it has to do with. How about this? I don't know what it has to do with. I just made it up. You get it? Yeah, but then you come back and say, yes, you, you said that, but I went out and tried it, and it worked. I learned something. Well, hey, don't blame me. No, you said that you just made it up. I want you to know that it actually worked. You thought I'd be surprised. Yeah, but you said you made it up, so I didn't, I didn't know whether you actually knew that it would work. Doesn't everybody get it? Just because I say I made it up. You got some doubt that it'll work. Well, I want somebody that you know tells me something, a fact. <laughs> I want a mystical facts. God help you.
0: <laughs>
1: well, everybody in the beginning, that's what you want. I mean, you want to find. I want to find out who knows what's going on. And so you find out that. Who your original hero was, as soon as you find out that Buddha was dead and you are a little late and you, you know, checked your history, yeah. you thought, well, God, is anybody around that knew him? You know, that's the closest I can get to. I want somebody that's still got the facts. I want somebody that knows what's going on. I guess I would have written this in a news item sometime. That's where everybody starts. But eventually, you gotta realize, you got your choice between somebody that just apparently, at first they sort of sound, anyway, someone who's making it all up, Someone who says that they're making it all up. I give lectures on the idea of being awake and achieving enlightenment. And uh, if you're welcome to come listen to it, I make them up myself. They're all, I invent them on the spot. Well, sometimes I invent them earlier that day if I write them down. But I end up, I I invent them all. If you got your choice later on between that and someone who has this long pedigree, someone I studied with so-and-so. I am orthodox. That is, I stick. It's come from the secret line of Tibetans or whoever that our great revered master in the 12th century, that we have taken his teachings, his methods, and they have been copied down. Now we say laboriously.
0: I don't know honey.
1: I think it just has a sound. They have been laboriously copied under the most stringent they like that, of conditions. That is, they look over each other's shoulder and go, what's this word? And they guess. Anyway, if you got your choice between that kind and somebody who is making it up, or who says they are, I keep getting that confused. I don't tell you right. Who says that they're making it up. Whereas somebody else is teaching a certified method, a proven historical method. So we're 5,000 years old, or 500 years old. If you got a choice between that and a guy who says, I make it up. I have all sorts of tricks. I have my own methods to go about this. And they are, I make them all up. you That sounds, well, I was going to say it sounds curious to you people. It doesn't sound like curious now. but if we're taking this to ordinary serious mystics, I mean, people who've spent their life, who are still involved, What does that guy teach us? Well, he just makes up shit, or he says he does. Does the word horrify come to mind? I was thinking about their response. Or even mortified. No, I guess horrified would be better. He what? I mean, he says he just makes it up? Yeah. They would probably want to grab you and hug you, or kidnap you and deprogram you. Which would be words. <laughs> How do you deprogram somebody that's not staying a program? But they would want to save you. Here's the point you know, I'm not talking about me and other people. Someday, right before you really get it, or maybe just after you really get it, you'll understand why I bring this up. Because the, your whole life, you and everybody else, are trying to awaken. You know, from a dream is a dream. For theatrical purposes, I could say, quote, I don't know how any of us can go all of our life for so many years and not realize that, end quote. Yeah, I do. But let me say it again. I just made that up, so I quote myself. It's unbelievable. It's it's beyond my comprehension how a person, serious, intelligent people, spend their life struggling to awaken, to achieve enlightenment, but to awaken from this dream world in which we ordinarily live, how they can do that, and never realize that that too is a dream. And to realize that, I think, is what some of the ancient... Wise ones used to refer to as the ultimate perfection of enlightenment. But I'm saying that it will drag you somewhere close if you will say no more than is absolutely necessary. Because I could say, I sort of already did earlier, but I could define this whole idea of being in a sleeping state. In which there is some reality somewhere. I just keep saying sleeping state and sometimes sound as though I'm sneering when I say it. I'm just sick of the term. But hell, I was sick of the term 20 years ago. There's a reality to it. It's not some sort of trick. Or when I say it's a dream, you're, you're attempting to awaken from being asleep. Also, that is a dream. It's not that the idea of being asleep is some trick. No, I didn't make you believe. I didn't preach to you that man's asleep. Man believes he's conscious, and everybody says they're conscious. Oh, they're idiots. They're living in a damn dream. Don't you realize it? They're all living in a dream, and they don't know it. I know it. Stick with me. First time you heard it or read it, to use my archetypical example, at least me, and I consider it to be archetypical, as soon as I read it, I realized that's what's been bugging me. That's what I've been looking for. That's why I wanted to hear. There is the explanation. That was it. All I did was just read that one sentence. Man believes he's awake, whereas he is living in a dream. He is not as conscious as he could be. That was it. With any of our sort, assuming you're really our sort, there's no doubt. There's a reality to it. Nobody convinced you. You can't convince anybody because hell... I know damn well you tried to convince some friend of yours. As soon as you read that's it, that's it. You ran to your best friend. You said, now nah, I know what's wrong. You know, all this talk we do and sing up all night and drinking espresso and discussing Sutra, Only because you can't pronounce his name. And then you say, I have been reading him laboriously. That's to make up for the fact that... When when you're English speaking, especially from the South, it's very hard to get such out. But at any rate, and you went to somebody and you went, I found what's wrong. I've got the whole thing. We're not the only ones in the world. We're not the first. Here's what it is. We are living, even after we get out of bed in the morning, you know, got out of bed. We are still living in a dream. I mean, we think we're conscious and we talk to each other and... But we are not. We are not fully conscious. We are actually, comparably speaking, to how we could be. We're still in a dream. We just got our eyes open and we're walking around. And you wait for your best intellectual buddy to go, Wow! Along with you. And they go, What? (laughs) The point being, even you could not convince anybody. No amount of talk. You either the point of me backing up to all that is I just want you to be sure I'm not saying that there's not anything to it of course I don't know why I still always worry but after all these years I'm going to say something like well trying to awaken from a dream is itself a dream show you how you know lily hearted I am after all these years I worry that some of you are going to go oh my god
0: wait a minute he here Shape up.
1: But it is. It is. You're doing it in a dream. But the reason why is what I'm telling you, there is something that no one can understand that drives this from beginning to end. And there it is. Well, you can't understand that. When I say... Now, I went back to the trouble to establish the fact that there's no doubt there is a reality... Beyond any question of what we call, people have called for thousands of years, being asleep. I assume that all of you listening to me somewhere at some time on the tapes even. If you're listening and interested in this, you know damn well what I'm talking about by now. There is no doubt about that condition, because also I assume that all of you have been for extended periods. You know that there is another condition. And they are as different as be sure and write this down they're as different as night and day give me a pen they are they could not be more distinct there is such a state there is a reality to that condition and now I say the whole struggle to awaken from sleep to awaken from this dream that whole struggle is itself a dream. Now, I am not asking you, I'm telling you this. You don't understand that. And off to the side, if you were seeing that thinking, oh, I understand that, slap yourself. <laughs> You're deceiving yourself. It can't be understood. It is an example of what I'm saying the thing that cannot be understood. That is the motivating force for all of this, from top to bottom in every language, in every culture, it does not change. Oh, the form changes, the terms change. But the whole this whole scenario, this whole smear of being asleep and wanting to awaken, living in a dream and wanting to awaken, living in delusion and confusion and seeking enlightenment living in some sort of bondage, internal bondage, and wanting to achieve a great liberation, all of this is driven by one thing and one thing only, from top to bottom, beginning to end, and that is this fact, that there's one thing that cannot be understood. And for those of you who weren't here when I said it two nights ago, I repeat, this has nothing to do with such things as what happens after death, where did we come from, How tall is God? There is one thing that you will never understand and it's in you. It's got nothing to do with anything you can talk about. So you can discount That's why I said if if you do believe that you understand when I said even the struggle to awaken from a dream is itself a dream. If you said you understood that you're deceiving yourself. Because you don't understand it. You don't understand what you don't understand why that's true. And if it makes you feel any better, I don't either. Which i got to tell you, I'm hedging a little bit, but basically it's true that no one can understand it. If it be true, ask yourself again, and I'll stop as I was telling you to con- or urging you to consider a couple of nights ago when I made the statement that what drives all of this is, is the fact that there's one thing that cannot be understood. You can be enlightened, you can be awake you can understand everything there is or better put you can have such understanding that there's nothing that you question you have no question, you have no confusion you have no concern, no fear no uncertainty which by any other definition would be absolutely wide awake, enlightened, and liberated okay such a person still will never understand one thing because it cannot be understood. And I urge you, suggested, just chew on that because that's right at the bottom of things. But chew on that. But if that sounded perhaps too abstruse, consider the example. I put some clothes on it. Did I say, there's no doubt we all know we experience it, what it means to live in a dream. And that what all this has been described as is the struggle to awaken from this dream. To awaken from it and stay awake. But to awaken from this dream, once you realize, once you hear about it know it's true, but especially after you once had your own personal experience, your own kind of enlightenment, you need one good experience to really continue this properly. So I've always assumed that you people still around have had your own whether you found it world shaking, but you've had something, you've had an experience of enlightenment. It very likely didn't match your reading, or you didn't what you imagine you had always read. But the fun is, you have no doubt there is another state that's right there, and it just happened. So it's in you. It's possible, and you know that it's as different when you're in that state, or when that state was in you. That it was as different as day and night. It was as different as being asleep at night and dreaming and then getting out of bed and being able to amble about to motivate to move around in life in a more efficient manner that in a dream all kinds of things can happen you can dream you're flying you can dream that other people are throwing bullets at you with their hands and they're hurting you you can dream all kinds of fantastic things and yet when you get out of bed in the morning comparably speaking you're better equipped to deal with reality Comparably speaking, you do deal more with reality. Not completely because you are still living by that secondary script. But at least comparably speaking, you're better equipped. You deal more with physical, material reality once you awaken and get out of bed. Once you've had the experience, once you've had your own experience of enlightenment, being awake for a while, then you realize there's that same kind of difference compared to my ordinary state of consciousness, me being awake, walking around doing brain surgery, teaching mathematics, whatever you're doing. That state is a dream compared to this. Now I know what it is. All right. So there's no doubt about it. And so me putting clothes on it, I say that the struggle, all this is a struggle to awaken from a dream, but the struggle is itself a dream. I suggest consider that because you don't understand it and if you thought you did just say I'm not going to make you admit it you don't understand it and surely once I point out I'll give you all credit that as soon as you as soon as I said that you thought he's right I don't understand it but I have no doubt that many of you thought oh yeah I understand that no you don't but I strongly recommend consider it if it be true which it is then you know, what gills how can it be what does that mean how can it be how could the most real thing in the world to me if you're my kind of mystic is the there's nothing more real not even in question there's nothing more real tangible I taste it in my mouth from the time I wake in the morning last thing at night it's always there I can ignore it for a few seconds but how can that be a dream how can my struggle to awaken from the dream that I know is my normal state that's everyone's normal state how can I struggle with all the success I've had with all the extraordinary experiences but how can this struggle itself be a dream how can that be of course, everything in the dream world, everything that you think in that dream world, that is your mind, everything in there says, well, it can't be. I'm telling you this. and I'm telling you it's worthwhile, something to do that's worthwhile, is to look into it. How can that be? If it is true, how can that be? How can it be and I not know it? How can it be and and I say it can't be, that everything in me says well, it can't be? And he says it can. How, what's going on? How could it be? Don't forget to read your. How about even your Camus? If you can't pronounce Sartre, then move to a simpler level. Read some Camus. <laughs> Or some ghosts. I used to like people. You'll <laughs> have some fun be hanging around a, a university town in Germany drinking beer with college students. and mentioning about that one of your intellectual heroes for years that you've dreamed, of course, being there in Germany because you have just always idolized ghosts.
0: Because
1: <laughs> you're not making friends. fast. <laughs>
0: that concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at JanCox.com, where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest, or just leave us a message.